Okie dokie. Another episode of After the Gig. How are you all? How's everyone feeling this morning? Driving your car? Are you at work? What are you doing? On the show today, I have the great Pat Rick from the GA20 band. It's not the GA20 band. It's GA20. That's it. And they're a band. Uh, He's a great dude. I really, really like Pat. And he used to come into Devlin's restaurant in Brighton, Massachusetts when I used to work there as a bartender, mostly on Wednesday nights when they had jazz night and he would hang out at the bar and then he would just go up and casually rip guitar on these jazz standards that they would play every Wednesday night. But then come to find out the dude is a killer blues player, is a singer, just all around talented dude. And in this interview, he will say that he's not talented, that he just put in the time that anybody can do it, and I think that there's some truth to that, but Pat is a humble guy, and he's really, really, really great at what he does, and the band GA20 is fucking sick. They're awesome. They have a brand new album out. I'm going to bring it up here on my computer machine. It's called Crackdown. just came out. It's awesome, and they're heading over to Europe and the UK. They're going to be in Switzerland, Manchester, Newcastle, Edinburgh, which is one of my favorite places to play. I actually played the Voodoo Room in Edinburgh. It was great. Chester, London, at the Garage. Go to their website. Go check out their dates. If you are overseas and you listen to this, then uh, go check out GA20. They're really, really awesome. Uh, the two songs that I'm going to feature here in my intro. Uh, the intro, I feel like, doesn't get enough play because it's really short and just kind of leads right into the conversation, but I want you to go and listen to it. I will include a link to Spotify so you can go on there and listen to their songs and put it on a playlist. And It's, a, it's great driving music. It's great just all around, like, like a really fresh, modern take on blues music. They do it really, really well. They're a trio. They don't have a bass player. They have they have low end in the guitar that kind of covers that space, and uh, it's really really well done. They do it better than than really anyone. Like I like them better than the Black Keys. There, I go go ahead and I said it. I said it. I like them better. But like I was saying before, they're on tour. They have a new album out. The two songs that I am featuring in this in the intro, one is Easy on the Eyes. That's in the intro. You won't hear the whole thing, but I uh, I will include the link to. Spotify, so you can go in and listen to it. The outro song is going to be Fairweather Friend, so you can listen to that whole song there, and like I just said a million times, you can go to Spotify and listen to it, and uh, I highly recommend buying the album on iTunes or wherever you purchase your music, and um, yeah, about that. So I got a question from Katie Musselman uh, a couple weeks ago about the Patreon. She is a longtime patron and a supporter of the podcast has provided me with artwork and cookies and all kinds of cool stuff over the course of the pandemic. And one of the questions was the value, where the money goes for the for the Patreon. And um, the uh, not only is it just upkeep with, with the podcast hosting website and, you know, uh, Lightroom and things to create materials to make videos and, and, kind of keep the show going. So it's self-sustaining. It also includes the purchase of the albums so I can feature them on the show. I don't ever ask, well, sometimes I do. If, if the album's not out yet, 
um, if their music isn't out and I want to feature something that's that's not out yet, uh, I will ask for it and they'll send it to me usually. But in cases like this, brand new album, I support these bands. I, I, I pay for the songs. It goes towards that. And I highly recommend that uh, if you're a music fan and bands you love, I highly recommend that you go out and support what they're doing so they can keep doing it. That's that's what it is. So um, that's a really great question. I love that question. So support the music, support your favorite artists, and uh, support people getting started too. That's uh, that's a big deal. Keep them going because they're only going to get better. They're only going to get better. So GA20, Pat, these guys are great. I really enjoyed having this conversation. There's a lot of really great stuff for up and coming guitarists. New guitarists are starting taking lessons. Um, People going to music school has a lot of our opinions on Berkeley and all that good stuff. And we kind of jump right in here. I cut out a lot of the uh, pandemic and, well, you canceled this this show or you rebooked that thing at the beginning because nobody wants to hear that anymore. Um, So we kind of get right into it here about uh, being a jack of all trades and, and all that stuff. So please enjoy this conversation with Pat. Really loved it. And I will see you soon. Bye. metal band too oh yeah, yeah, yeah oh man that's weird I'm, I'm a weirdo you do a lot of stuff dude i try you've I always you've always been like that like even when we would hang out at uh at devlin's you played you you play the jazz stuff really well uh well you know it's a work in progress it always is but right yeah i'm i'm as i'm scatterbrained in everything so music's no exception um yeah that's that that has its benefits but it has a lot of cons to it too because i don't get to go as deep into things as, as other people do who have the blinders on. And um, <clears throat> if you have the blinders on, you may feel like you're shut off from stuff, but you actually, you really get to know something. Um, yeah. So because I'm so scatterbrained and things, uh, a lot of what I know is more surface level to, to my detriment. Do you but think anyway, one thing, do you think one thing's better than the other? One way of being is better than the other. Well, like Jack of all trades kind yeah. of deal. Because if you, because I guess like if you, if you uh, know a lot of stuff, uh, know a little bit about a lot of stuff, and then you keep pursuing learning in all those, in all those areas, then over time, wouldn't you be the the more rounded human being? Would you though? I don't know. <laughs> that, that has that assumes the success of doing it, right? That's, so if that's I'm, true. If I'm jack of all trades, but I can't uh, get a consistent gig because I'm not, at, I'm only surface level on a bunch of stuff. I can't really sustain that, can I? Right. Yeah. However, someone's like, oh, I need, I need the, uh, 
the guy that does this thing really well and then you know well, might, it, might not be you oh well, look so it i guess it's so it sounds nihilistic when i say it but it is so open-ended that question so did the jack of all trades uh it, were they able to maintain a happy successful career with those skills and what is the jack of all trades in is it in the career things or is it more in your day-to-day -day life right so my dad is a good example of that kind of jack of all trades in daily life he's he's not a handyman but he like can fix he can just pull something apart and just kind of like figure it out dangle it until it makes sense and then he fixes it right i don't have the mind for that i need to like take a class on everything you know like if, if the faucet stops running i have to watch like 20 youtube videos before i feel, <laughs> before I feel competent like holding a wrench you know so but but that's not his career Mm -hmm. Right, so I, it's, that's really tough to answer that question because you can probably meet uh, people who are a jack of all trades and they are extremely successful, and then you probably meet somebody who's kind of sort of okay at a lot of things and they're not able to do much, right? And then there are the people who are so uh, focused on one thing and they're very successful and, and vice versa. So that was a very long way to say I don't know. I was listening to a bit of you guys this week. Um, just to kind of like prepare for this and it's really it's a really cool interesting take on on traditional blues music which is like you guys created an interesting sound that doesn't make it sound date it makes it sound new and energetic and fun um and it and it still doesn't take away from the uh from the tradition of the actual music well thank you why is that really like what are you doing differently that's that's making that happen is that a conscious choice it well um it was a it was an unintentional conscious choice that's, <laughs> that's a, that sounds so silly when i say it um when i started out i asked matt hey i'm looking to get hired i just want to get hired for harmonica players like what what should i know and he gave me a, a list of songs and players to check out and that was straight to chess records the myers brothers with little walter um uh, uh robert lockwood um buddy you know buddy guy all, all the standard names otis rush freddie king right mm -hmm. the entire freddie king instrumental album dance away and hideaway and i started just tearing those apart and uh, i would actually because i wasn't singing i would take uh, the vocal melodies and i would try to put them on guitar in in a way too in, insane detailed way i should i should have just not done that <laughs> <laughs> but um but you know what that means is i didn't know this so that was my conscious decision to go to do that list just straight up how Hall, and wolf right all the all the standards muddy waters and uh when we started ga20 about a year into it we're playing in springfield and matt and uh i forget which drummer it might have been kenny um they were talking about all these names and every mm -hmm. name that they knew, like personally or from this particular era. And I I was like, who's that? Who's that? I didn't know any of these people. And Matt looks at me and he says, I know why we sound like the way we do. Because when I was growing up, I went through all these players first. Yeah. You didn't do that. Right. So I, I have all my things that I grew up with, all the standard, you know, 90s kids sounds that i was inundated with and then i've got you know my my opinions on 
how sound moves and, and what kind of melodies I'm attracted to. And then now I've got just straight to the fifties, right? Straight to the forties, fifties and early sixties or mid sixties. And so that, that kind of, uh, cohesion coalesces into into that sound, but that's not kind of like, I didn't, um, I didn't have to take any sound that I've heard and say, no, don't do that. Right. Cause you're so taking they, like the modern things that you've, that you know and that you've learned and applying yeah. it to that and those aren't modern blues right so you know it's it's imprinting mm-hmm. you know you can uh you you have your sound that you like now but are you still kind of imprinting as a primary source something else right that's what it is and that's how and that's how music evolves <laughs> you know that's how, real, that's how real music evolves yeah right yeah that natural uh, cohesion of, of, you know, one or two sounds over here that you have, and then you add a couple of things. And, and the really original stuff is the unfamiliar cohesion. So what, what are the things that you somehow put together that people think, no, that shouldn't have happened. Right. Right. Do you guys, um, you know, you don't have, you're, you're playing most of the low end stuff on, on your guitar for the, for the most part as of now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the hound dog stuff. I'm doing most of the slide stuff, right? So I'm not um, that hound dog album. I don't. I'm all on the top end, right? Right. Matters to the the Brewer Phillips low end stuff. But yeah, up until then, man, I was most of the low end stuff because Matt would be the chief soloist. Do you ever miss having that bass and stuff in a live setting? I don't miss it at, at all. Like it, it, everything makes cohesive sense whenever I'm listening to a record. But I always know as a drummer, I'm always like playing with guitar players and if that low end is missing it feels like something's missing like how have you guys like is that ever been a conversation or ever been an issue for you guys well when you first start out you're not used to it at all so you right awkward but very quickly i mean you you actually answered it in how you asked the question because you didn't say bass you said low end so the more you kind of mentally let yourself sink into the low end even on your guitar um the less people are going to notice now that being said um i'm not i'm actually not too big on the gear makes everything but or like oh i need that exact gear i actually haven't been that big on it um but this the main guitar i'm playing that little dinky stratotone that i'm doing that does have that's a green one right little green one yeah that actually has a pretty big effect on the low end because the sound is so fat Mm -hmm. coming out of that thing it's a the baseball the the neck is like a baseball bat um it's a neck through and it's very lightweight so all that resonance right that comes out of it um makes it so people think that there's a bass and or they think i'm playing through a bass pedal and then it's so sick that that guitar is so cool I really lucked out on that. And then and then uh, the two amps that we use, we didn't, you don't always need it because you can do it with one amp just depending on the volume and the settings. Mm-hmm. But uh, the setup we have right now, we have two amps each and the low amp stays clean and has a nice thunk to it. Okay. So the combination between the guitars we play and the, and the guitar amp we play, we don't need a bass pedal because that carries the low end like what you mm-hmm. said you didn't say bass right you said low end um and so once you fill out that space man people don't people don't notice 
Right. Yeah, I mean, and other people do it, like Black Keys do it. I don't know if they travel with a bass player now or anything, but... Yeah, they do now. They do now, yeah. It's the Gabbard brothers. And um, Andrew Gabbard is a label mate. He's also on... Uh, he released some albums on Karma Chief. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. Very cool. I hope to God I got that name right. I'd be very, very embarrassed if I didn't. <laughs> That's okay. But, I mean, that, that guitar that you're playing, I watched the... Um, I watched the... Uh, the rig rundown that you did the youtube yeah. rig rundown and it's interesting how the the small fender on the top it has what that line line out kind of toggle thing that goes down that, that was custom i had that installed okay so what exactly is that doing that is just sounding or sorry just sending the exact signal of that amp into a bigger amp oh okay. you didn't i didn't do that on I don't believe I did it on that video. So that when you have the GA20 rig, um, it's the low amp and the high amp. You want the two different sounds, right? Right. The thing about that, those pro juniors, man, people are really, I mean, I don't think people are sleeping on them too much, but I would say they, they should be most people's top 10 uh, for tone because for such a small amp, they get such a great tone, but the wattage limits the output. So if you needed to play a bigger venue, you might uh, find yourself out of luck. So we, we have an amp guy named, uh, there's a guy named Stan Day, and he installed for me, and he did it on one of Matt's, is an, I believe, is an output to just send that to like a line output. It's not even a speaker output, right? So you right, can take a right. instrument cable, plug it into the input of a bigger amp, and then you control how much output you send out. Interesting. And and so if you want a straight guitar tone and you don't need that clean low end along with it, or if you just want like a straight compressed gain sound, do that. Do that. I put that into a twin once and it allows the twin to stay pretty quiet right. but get the full tone out of it. <clears throat> I did that for a gig and that, that sounded great. I actually would do that sometimes for the metal band. Because it has such a good crunch to it when you have the junior all the way up and then going through a bigger amp. that That's a mean tone. And then what happens when you add in, you know, like heavy distortion and stuff for, for the metal stuff? Well, it's just, what I, it just stays super clean, like, or, you know, it's crunch. You said it's crunchy, but it just gives it yeah. a good, a good, uh, like, original layer, good foundation. Well, I don't use um, distortion pedals. I also have an EVH. Uh, head going into a cap, so I could AB. Okay. I could AB um, passively, just that super, you know, death metal crunch plus right. this ass distortion. So yeah, that's awesome. That's it's so about like whenever I think about guitar amps and stuff, like I'm a very on the surface, like oh oh here's an amp oh, that sounds good. Okay, I don't really know what it's doing, but great. <laughs> Um, I, I am I am still like that. Even with what I know, I'm still mentally caveman lawyer. But you um, have trial and error. Like you're actually using these things. Yeah, you know, you yeah, kind of, yeah. 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 Well, mostly error. I don't. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm still. I guess I'm guessing in the middle of a gig. You know, yeah. I don't. I don't have the mind for that sort of stuff. I have to rely on other people. When did you guys get started? When GA20 band get started? Uh, what does GA20 mean? Gibson Amplifier 20. Cool. So Matt, this you know the story Matt tells on stage is 100% true. Uh, there's no exaggeration to it. It's just we were friends. I was coming out to his gigs. I was trying to get started um, 
more than just you know me and my bands i wanted to be a full-time professional musician and uh so i was going out to his shows i was learning from him uh getting all the songs i could down going to jams and then he was playing with charlie musclewhite and charlie musclewhite called him up saying uh he's making a record with ben harper and he's going to go out on the road for i believe two years and or at least a year which is great for him but it's bad for matt right and so right. matt saw matt saw that i already had a nice repertoire uh ready for gigs and that i already was gigging but at that point man i was only up to maybe um one one or two gigs a month like as you know at devlin's i was always chasing you down because i didn't have any I didn't have many gigs. That is like the perfect way. That that was a great community for a lot of different players in the Boston area to kind of get together and for a fun hang and and play. You know, it was Chris was was great about like having people play different styles yeah. of music during the whole thing. And he's a great facilitator of that. Very nice. Really great. Really great. Just very open ended. Doesn't really care. Like just lets things kind of flow the way that they that they're going to flow like Lyle Brewer used to come down all the time killer player you, know, you were there and, and you just those were those were those Wednesday nights were so fun yeah Chris Chris knows that you know you got to work on your craft so he was very um right what's the right term very yeah very open very kind um he, he really let me you know get my stuff together yeah but so so Matt said uh Matt had all these connections to restaurants and he said, let's just, let's just do two guitars. And at the time, harmonica player, um, let's just do like old school, you know, very stripped down. Let's just play hundreds of gigs. And he would joke, make hundreds of dollars. Um, <laughs> so at the time, and what happened was for the name, we didn't have a name, but I had a restaurant gig coming up and the owner kept saying we need a name for the band and i would just be like oh i don't know you know i i shut down when i get asked that so at our only rehearsal matt brought this amp and he said check out this amp and he played it sounded great and i said what kind of amp is that and he said it's called a ga20 and i said let's uh, let's just do that for the name we're ga20 <laughs> i just needed a name for the restaurant gig and it stuck so I like it. It's cool. It's one of those things that's like you don't really know what it means until you ask, and then and really then. unintentional. Yeah, I didn't know that so many people in Atlanta would be disappointed to learn what the name meant. <laughs> that's funny. That's awesome. And then you got so you were you originally like a, a Boston guy, or did you come in kind of later? No, I'm Boston born and raised. Okay, because I wasn't sure because because you started showing up kind of facilitating those gigs and sitting in and stuff at Devlin's and all that. And okay. Yeah. That's cool. that, that, yeah. My background's completely different. You know, my background was not in that style of music. Um, well, let me, let me backtrack. So I had been taught what I was told was jazz and I was taught what I was told was these things in music growing up. And my background's more punk, hardcore and metal like Boston, punk, Boston, hardcore. Yeah. So I didn't have any outlet to go to those gigs. I didn't have a mind to go to those kinds of things. And then it's when I decided, well, I should actually be a professional musician um, that I was going out, you know, looking up stuff. I didn't have a mind for it before then. But no, I am Boston, even though the accent's not quite there. Yeah, that's cool. It's probably for the best. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I I mean, it creeps in only when I have road rage. But. Yeah, exactly. When you're in the car, like, oh, come on, man. Nah. That was a terrible, <laughs> terrible impression. 
It's Banger Yui. <laughs> Banger Yui. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is interesting. So, like, what would you say were the things that you were like the approach when you were originally learning uh, jazz and stuff in school, like of how it was supposed to be? Where did you go to school? First of all, were you were you a Berkeley guy? You weren't a Berkeley guy, were you? Yeah, was, uh, yeah, yeah. You I'm were okay. Right. We were probably there at the same time. When were you there? Oh uh, four to oh nine. Okay, I was there oh seven to eleven, doing not a lot for most of it. Cool. Yeah, um, but you know, it is it is what it is. But people people think they're doing a lot when they you know get the curriculum, and then they uh, they find out a lot of it's not really applicable. So. Well, that's the thing. That's that's the the issue that I always had it was like the prof- the professors didn't really show the real kind of real life scenarios. Mm-hmm. Of, of how you would apply a lot of these things. And I think that's what turned off a lot of people from really getting in there and pursuing it. And probably why the dropout rate was so, so high. Um, but I don't know. Did you have a different experience with that kind of thing? You kind of alluded to that. Yeah. I mean, I had been brought up through high school in that system. So that system was extremely easy for me to get A's in. Um, okay problem is it's not like what you said you you leave and then you try to get a gig and none of it works because they don't they don't teach you the main thing which is how many songs do you know and how who have you played with right that's not that's not like the sleazy business like who do you know you know networking and things like that it's literally how many people have you played these songs with Mm -hmm. a lot of it's being around is just being around getting out there and kind of showing your face you can be around and not know any songs well, I mean, on on being on the level, like, yeah, yeah, you have to know the song. You have to be good at your instrument and do what you're doing. But if nobody knows who you are and, and nobody sees you and you never sit in with anybody, then mm-hmm. you're not going to get anything, right? Right, right. And 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 why do not why do not many people go sit in at gigs? You would think that every single jazz and blues gig or any sort of what they call GB, you'd think there would be a thousand Berkeley students that. Or just, sorry, not even just that school, man, a thousand music school students that would be there looking to sit in or looking to meet, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's funny, I was, you know, for any gig that I was hired for, no one sent me a list of chord scales to know. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine, imagine if they did. But that's, again, that's why people will burn out on it because, um, look, there are, there are legitimate, you know, what do you call it? skills to have that you could call an education there's a real false dichotomy where people think it's either theory or feel Mm -hmm. right so the idea of like so they think it's either you go to a conservatory or you don't and 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 you just feel it out and they can never describe the feel it's always some kind of you know wishy-washy oh just like you know open your mind to the ether and it'll come to you and that's not that's not what it is it's rep it's repertoire and it's you know specific sounds and specific um ways that you hear melody uh the but again so but the theory that's being taught in schools nowadays is it's not even mathematically correct so this idea that oh it's either theory or feel is completely wrong mm-hmm. you know like my you know it, it sounds pompous when i say it but the problem is calling it theory because no one, no one calls reading and writing English uh, English theory, right? It's just it's just what, it's just what it is, and you do it. 
It's just literacy. But you don't even do it. That's the thing. Like when we're talking, are we spelling the words as we're saying them? No. If we had if we had to write them down and spell them out, we could. But but that's but that's what we end up teaching people in a music school is that you're not allowed to play it unless you can name all these things that we said. And right. I mean, I've never been I've never been at a gig or at any kind of session where we sat down and we were talking about the theory of what we were what you know or, or the chord scale what was happening. It's like oh. You, we're up here, we're in a spot and we're doing it. We're playing, we're trying to communicate with each other and, and, and play this music and take it off the page and make it and, and make it you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. something, something special. Yeah. I mean, whenever to use Devlin's as another example, whenever I, you know, I saw everybody play there cause I was behind the bar yeah. and whenever you guys would come in, you would always come and sit down at the bar, hang out, have a chat. Mm -hmm. That was the difference between you guys mm -hmm. or the ones that were there a lot that were playing and that were really trying to do something with their careers or trying to like figure some stuff out mm -hmm. as opposed to maybe the Berkeley student or the young kids, it was usually young kids that would come in with their guitar backpack and would just like kind of stand in the corner just waiting for their chance ready waiting to pounce like to show you every little ounce of 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 yeah. whatever they learned that yeah. week in class you know which was the wrong way to approach it but i think that's a young mistake a young man's mistake well it's only a young man's mistake because the young man is in school correct Correct. So the, young, so the young man is being taught that every time you walk into a classroom, you have to prove that, especially guitar players, that you have to know every permutation of a five-node Dorian mode run up and down the fretboard because that's what you get an A in. So right. you're given this endorphin or the um, what's the what's the you're given a serotonin rush every time you prove that, and so. The, and then if there is a competitive nature at that school, so you're trying to outdo people on on musical things so guess what you're just kind of trained in this cult-like mentality where you show up to a gig and you're trying to outdo that and you would show it dude it would show up in in some playing right. I, I i i remember being at a gig and the drummer took a solo and two people were trying to dance to it but he was trying to out syncopate he was trying to show how badass his syncopations were and the like, couple watch me mess with these people and the couple <laughs> left and it's like dude that's you just like, if anyone wanted to, you know, hire you, I think you just <laughs> ruined that chance. You actually, you actually intentionally made people leave because you were trying to prove like how crazy your, your, uh, how good you did at your proficiency earlier today. Yeah, dude, there's a guy, there's a guy on Instagram. He's a drummer and I, I won't say his name on here, but he, um, he is exactly like that. He's, he, he prides himself on being like a battle drummer. But every, it's ridiculous. But every single post I see him, you know, playing or or whatever is is by himself. <laughs> it's like he is he's never playing with other people, never playing with other musicians, and he's always you know talking trash about other people that are trying to like get his ego in check or whatever. But it's uh it's a real problem. I went I went into Berkeley playing way like overplaying like a madman and it, it immediately got i i was lucky i was lucky i had some some great um teachers that just 
you know, nipped it. It, it was just, they really, they really said, you can't do this if you want to be a, if you want to be a working drummer, which was the only, like maybe one person, one or two people were the only ones that said that to me Yeah, in a whole, in a whole entire system of, of, you yeah. know, allegedly one of the best schools in the, in the music schools in the world, mm-hmm. which was really they, interesting. Uh, yeah. There's that standard joke where the, you see this one panel of a drummer doing these crazy things. And the guy says, you're great. And then the next one, he's just going, boom, chick, boom, chick. And the guy goes, you're hired. You're hired. Yeah. 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 But, but now again, there's a very, there's a serious false dichotomy um, where people that people will take the exact wrong idea from that. Mm-hmm. And so the exact wrong idea is that in order to get hired or in order to play music that people enjoy, you have to play dumb. Right. You can't sophisticate. You can't be sophisticated. You can't. You can't sneak anything in. You can't make it palatable. And, and I don't want to say smart like you know, uh, good music is inherently dumb, but you get what I'm saying, yeah. right? That that especially musical school students they think the only way I can make my music like artistic and proof of like true artistic self-expression is to make it completely unpalatable and undigestible by normal people where the real sophistication is, can you, can you make it palatable and have those little tricks and those little, you know, uh, things to that musicians can go, Ooh, what was that? But it's still completely palatable to, to people. And that's the real sophistication. And that's where that, that soul jazz, that's where the Miles Davises came in with cool jazz when they brought it back from straight bebop. As great as much as I love Clifford, uh, Clifford Brown, uh, Clifford Brown's my favorite for that. Um, but, you know, Bird, Gillespie, all, Max Roach, all of those guys, it's great stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But is it, is it palatable and danceable? Right? It's what the Art Blakey said, right? You got to get people dancing again. Um, yeah. You got, well, you got one of the big things that I've, that I've learned is just being listenable is, is, and, and, and being subtle is like the most important thing you can do in, in many aspects, even beyond music. Mm-hmm. So it's like to be successful in, in this thing, you have to be a really good networker and, and get out there and mm-hmm. meet people and get names and numbers and all that stuff have the vocabulary like you know no one is gonna fault you for going in in the shed and listening to all the things you want to listen to and like getting really 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 good but then knowing when to take it back and and what to put out there and what is going to be listenable and and having a goal really in mind of what you want to what you want to accomplish and who you want to cater to yeah exactly i remember what you said vocab right vocab is not necessarily spelling so right. a lot of, yeah, you, people don't intentionally do this. I just bring it back to the schooled mentality and how people can take words and, and kind of get the wrong idea from them, even though the words are right. So right. vocab is what you speak. It's the syllables. It's not the spelling. Mm-hmm. Right? So, um, and, and unfortunately there's another false dichotomy with originality and that, uh, schooled students will deal with this the most where they think that, um, like originality and creativity involves not learning anything, right? Just know the theory and then, and then, uh, you know, be original. They don't really know what that means. Um, right. Like no, no one goes up to a two year old and says, you're doing really great learning, uh, 
your native language, but stop ripping everybody off. <laughs> I should say that to my son. But yeah, like, like, listen, no, you're ripping me off, kid. Yeah, no, make up your own words, man. Hear all the correct. <laughs> hear all the correct letters. Be creative. Right. That's so. Like, funny. why would you tell people like, here's the correct things to do now? Be creative with it. Doesn't none none of that works. Um, I'll tell you, man. I I was completely guilty of of um, you know thinking I was creative without having the proper foundation. Everyone is. Most people are, man. Either most people are or most people don't know they are. I um, totally but I totally feel like the imposter syndrome in that. Like I'm out I'm up here, you know, playing in front of people and I don't I can't transcribe, you know, whatever Art Blakey's solo on this thing. Like I it's like I don't have that same knowledge that somebody up there like, you know, someone like Mark Juliana, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's playing with Saint Vincent, who's a pop. It's a pop artist, a pop act, and whoever is listening to that music is is not savvy to what that man can do and what that man knows behind a drum kit. He's one of the the finest drummers and musicians ar- around. He's a genius, and um, you know it takes that kind it's interesting to see that that's the level of of success that's the somebody that really deserves that gig mm-hmm. a lot of people will fail to go through put that work in and he's 40 you know he's 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 mm-hmm. put in he's put in the time and really played you know he's played with a lot of great people but he did his own thing and and everything and really tried to expand his his whole world and his, and his brain and music and now he's doing that that gig and it's he's a monster <laughs> it's, it's insane he might he might also have some same i mean i don't know the guy so i don't want to speak to it but yeah, there's always yeah. that, that person that you're looking up to also has the same uh imposter tendencies yeah i wonder and everyone every all the all the musicians you hang around with you all have to pretend like you don't have it because <laughs> then you're all seething in the same right. room oh my god i suck why do i even bother <laughs> dude i'll tell you man uh, yeah that's a tough that's a tough thing for me uh is just being like oh man am i am i am i even supposed to be here <laughs> yeah man I, I'll ask, I ask myself that every gig i'm yeah, in the man. middle of, i'm in the middle of singing a verse and i'm like why are these people watching that's funny so did you do um do you have any headlining uh gigs with ga20 um I noticed that you guys played. What's the place in Buffalo? Is it Ironworks in Buffalo? Iron. You guys were there like two nights after us or something. And uh, oh no way! Oh cool. Yeah, because I saw the poster. I was like, "What? That's yeah. Pat!" And I didn't. I didn't recognize you because your hair's a lot longer now. Your beard's a lot longer. And, I'm and a total, I'm a total mess right now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I love it, man. It's such a great look. Um, but. I saw that and I was like, "Oh man, these guys are these guys are doing it." So I was wondering um, if you had any headlining dates coming up, or if that's a goal. Uh, obviously, it's a goal, but like if that's something on the, on the horizon. We have a lot of. Um, we have a couple. You'd have to go to the website to see them, but okay. uh, we no. And that that tour with uh, JD Simo, total sweetheart, monster player. JD um, Simo. That's that's right. That's who it was. Monster. It was a co-headlining thing. Right, it was a co-bill. So some nights we were first, sometimes or half of the gigs we were first, and half the nights we were second. That's an interesting oh. situation. How did you how did you feel about that? Was was there any like tension? Who was going to go first or who's going to go last the, at all? 
No, you had you had a couple of scheduling snafus just in terms of some people wanted or uh, you know we really in on this particular city we were hoping to go last here in this particular city JD was hoping to go last there we you know we worked around it. Um, there were a couple of nights where we did two two in a row first or two in a row second, but it it evened out. Um, no, but the, no no it wasn't. Um, we weren't like seething while JD was playing last on a couple shows going like. Grr. It's like oh god I wish we had this slot. Yeah. No, okay. well, especially for me, because um, you know it's a it's the job. I have to keep it mentally the job. I can't I can't ever um, feel that kind of self importance because uh, that because then you start getting more antsy about it. Like you know, then you might start attaching your self worth to it. It's like, dude, just just here's your set. Here are your fans. If if you don't have any fans there, make some new fans. You know, but just. And then if all else fails, just, okay, work on a couple things you wanted to work on tonight on stage. You yeah. Know, you wanted um, to try to on stage, give it a shot. But again, like that's the craft of it, right? So you have to kind of, you, you have to shut yourself off from, from that kind of uh, emotional need, right? It's the perfect attitude to have. Like that's not, not everyone has that attitude. It's not always successful. That That's more of, you know, I wouldn't say it's, uh, from being having a cool level headed approach. That's an emotional fear I have of quote, what is it called? Believing the hype. And, mm-hmm. and start, no, it's, but that's, that's not me being smart about it. That's me being uh, completely chicken about uh, letting that stuff in. So well, it's also like that, de- like a different kind of dedication and, and just like kind of keeping yourself on focus and on track. Cause if you start worrying about that stuff, you're right. It's going to affect your either your your mood or your music or or whatever especially when you're on the road when you know you want to make the music the most important thing yeah that's all i can do i I have enough to worry about with um oh when i sang that last night my voice didn't relax you know oh i tried to play that thing it didn't quite like i have too much to think about with just the playing and the singing you know i have to keep track i have to be able to play and sing those parts at the same time well you know Oh, I got to dance more, you know, little things like that. That's all craft stuff. I have too much to think about with that rather than all the other stuff. And and there's the business side that you have to think about, obviously, but I'm saying um, all the emotional stuff we just talked about. Do you have to uh, do anything special in preparation with those, those like kind of independence exercises with your voice and and guitar is that is that constantly a work in progress is there anything that comes naturally to you no no nothing i play was natural (laughs) that was such a long tedious uh approach that's why you know i teach so that's that's why i know that literally anyone can do this if they put the work in right right everyone has their own unique individual quirks i believe that too I've got my weird sounding voice. Um, I have my opinions on things and that affects how I create stuff, but the raw skill of playing guitar and singing and then playing guitar while singing, like those are none of those I had a natural talent for Mm -hmm. that. And that only happened because when I was going to jams, um, I was working on playing guitar, right? Only. And I just noticed that when I would uh, get up, I wasn't singing any of the songs, right? So I didn't get to call any of the songs. So I found myself playing the same five to six songs and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. well, if I wanted to get hired, I need, I need to be able to play these songs. Right. Right. 
And I remember one one uh, set, somebody said, oh, we don't have a singer. Pat, can you sing this? I go, uh, okay. <laughs> and, you know, I hit the notes okay, but I wasn't singing. And um, they said, oh, you sound good. So I said, well, I guess I should sing these songs if I'm going to, you know, get used to playing them on stage. And then for, for a few months, I think, uh, I was just singing a set or I was just playing a set, but I wasn't playing while singing, right? Mm-hmm. And I got in my head like, uh, oh, my God, I guess I have to play and sing. So I'll give you an example. The first song I tried to do this with was the worst song to try to do it with. It, really? I, I shouldn't have done it. It's called uh, Hoodoo Man by uh, uh, Junior Wells. And it's, uh, you know... I can't sing like Junior Wells, but well, I wonder what's it got the matter. A time after time, it seemed that the rouse, the everything I change, I hold my hand. All right, that very first line, well, I wonder what's it got the matter. That took two hours. Tonight, yeah, because you, ha- you have that. So the, the guitar was like, dun, 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 or, it's, or it's all on the downbeats. Yeah. I had to line up the word, the Junior Wells words with the Buddy Guy guitar part. Yeah. And it was like, well, I wonder what's a got. <laughs> it's hard. Two hours just to get that one line. Yeah. And then um, I just went line by line by line. And very slowly, I was able to, um, not that I sang as good as Junior Wells, but, you know, I was able to do the song while playing the parts. And at first, it didn't even feel, it didn't feel musical at all. It did not feel right. natural. I would get through the song on, on stage, but I did not sound that great. And I remember, like, when it started to get uh, easier, there's an Otis Rush song called uh, uh, It Takes Time. It's uh, in time, baby, I'll get you off my mind. Little by little, watch my love slow down. And I remember getting that in five minutes. I went, Interesting. I must be doing it wrong. I mean, this was after like 20 songs, right? And I yeah. thought that in five minutes. I'm like, it did that actually, I must be doing it wrong. And I kept checking. It's like, no, 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 no. No, I guess yeah, you it's because you already earned that independence from something from from yeah, learning all, all the other stuff. Yeah, it's just building up your grid of how many times have you played and sang a note and then sang without playing a note and then played a note without right. singing. And then you come back. to it, right? right. Then there's the, the other side of that is the note independence. So if I'm going uh, right. a, uh, I remember I would spend I spent an entire week just playing that open G. Uh, and like making myself sing away from it and actually for a couple of days i couldn't it yeah it's hard that's really hard yeah and so i just had to put that in my head that i can sing this really close to that mm-hmm. that took a whole week just to get that one note and then i couldn't even do it in the uh the the part i was working on yeah right? the context because because then you're you're, it, it also takes time for your brain to recognize that that's the pattern that you're doing so mm-hmm. like yeah that's that's very interesting and this is all the stuff that is is the nuts and bolts of of learning it's like this is it and then i call it breaking through the wall it's like when you finally can can do the thing that you couldn't do you know a week week prior yeah and then the and then you realize oh you're running right into the next wall there's yeah oh yeah 
And uh, the wall I'm talking about is, um, so I was able to play and sing that stuff, right? And mm-hmm. at the time, I was also playing the Van Halen stuff. And uh, my singer couldn't make a gig. So I said, screw it. I'm going to sing and play that stuff. Oh, man. Right? And here's where it got interesting. I went to a rehearsal with the drummer and bass player. And uh, uh, Bottoms Up was the song. And the bridge is, come on, mom, 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 baby. Bottoms up. Come on, mom, 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 baby. Bottoms up. And I was trying to do that with the band. And I was convinced they were like speeding up and slowing down and dropping beats. Right, right, right. Hold on. They're like, no, we're fine, man. So <laughs> that's you. It's <laughs> me, right? So I go home. I mean, think about it. That part is come mom, 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 baby. Like even when the guitar goes back on the pulse, the vocals don't. Right. Literally, everything's the opposite. So I remember like getting really sick of it. Like, what is going on? So I put on a metronome to try to play along with it. I was like, I must be okay. I could actually hear the time and space of the metronome warping. That's how messed up that part was for me. Weird. Yeah. You could actually feel the metronome go slower and faster beat to beat. Crazy. Like I had just dropped acid or something. That's so crazy. So, you know, that, that was a major wall. So that was like three weeks to the gig. I thought I could play and sing, but now what I, so what I had to do was, um, I, it's a lot, it's metronome work, but it's not like, you know, like, right, right, right. That's real metronome stuff. I would put on the metronome and, um, I tap my foot to it and I would, I would make that two and four. Right. And I would tap, try to tap my foot to that, you know, come on, mom, 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 baby, bottoms up. Yeah. Come on, mom, mom. So, and then, the tricky thing is when you start putting the metronome on like the E's and the U's and 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 all that stuff, and that can I, that can really mess with you. That's hard. That is so hard to do. I didn't go that far. I would make that two and four, and then I would tap my foot on one and three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so I would do either metronome one and three. I tap two and four metronome two and four i tap one and three i just wanted like just a thing to just i had to lock in with this yeah yeah and have feel like the song yeah and i did that with i did that with three hours of material with like three weeks to go yeah and so that really i think you know that kind of oh my god i have i have like this much time to get this stuff together i'll tell you man like knowing knowing exactly what you have to work on is 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 magical just knowing, oh, yeah. knowing what you have to do and just like, all right, now this is what I got to do. So let's just do it. And then whatever well, time that, it that takes. Becomes, that becomes my standard review now. So if I, if we have like a month off and I'm working on other stuff and then leading up to the show or leading up to the tour, or wherever we're going, right. Yeah. I make sure I got all the songs down. I will do every song, including ones we're not doing with that stuff. You know, and yeah. it's not so much that I'm trying to be robotic with the metronome. I just need something that messes with my ear. Not, yeah. but again, not because I'm trying to be super syncopated or anything like that. It's really just I am trying to. I'm dealing with you know two to three layers of of singing and playing at the same time. So I just need to make sure I'm following 
an outside sound while doing that. And then um, you're hearing, you're also hearing the drums and then the other guitar. So you have to know, you have to be able to power through when you're when you're doing interesting uh-huh. rhythm things with your voice and the and your own guitar. There, there's a lot. There's a lot to it. You're not always. <laughs> you're definitely not always successful. Totally. Um, how much yeah. you guys vary it up when you're uh, when you're out on the road? What, how many songs you usually have in a? In oh, a this, you know, this last tour we had a very strict set because we wanted to put on a show with good uh, transitions. Cool. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you do want to switch it up with a few songs, but um, for for the most part, it was the same core set. You know, and then as as the uh, the new albums, as we start dropping things about the new album, we'll uh, incorporate stuff from the new album too. So nice. Yeah. I like, I like a good varied, a good, uh, varied set every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, basically selfishly, if you're doing a bunch of one-offs, it's cool to, to mix it up. But like, I am, I am totally on board with that. When you're doing a, when you have a scheduled run of shows, getting the set down and just, and hammering it away and doing it as best as you possibly can putting the your best representation of yourself forward especially if you're trying to grab some new fans like people yeah. love to see a polished a polished show i I've oh, yeah, yeah. i appreciate you doing this man this was great thanks for grabbing the guitar and show I, and, well and, i mean they're on the wall i might as well <laughs> no it's cool i mean it gives people most of the people that listen to this show are not musicians so yeah to, and, and what yeah, sorry. One of the takeaways I want people to have is it. I mean, it's such a, it's such a stereotypical trope to say if I can do it, anyone can do it. But it's really no exaggeration. It really is like the things that I did not have a natural talent in that that I had to work on, and I'm still working on every day. Like if if I can do it, literally you can do it too. And hit me up because I teach, so I can show yeah. you exactly what to do but um yeah and it, you know like i said it's still work in progress i got a long way to go but like you said earlier knowing it's not that you have the answer it's that you have you know the problem right, right. knowing the problem makes the answer kind of answer itself right and then you just got to put the work in right exactly exactly awesome man that was really really good stuff appreciate yeah, it um and then like you know congratulations on on getting this up and running man that looks real good thanks man all, all right, right. See you later. Take care, man. That was the episode with Pat Rick. So please check out GA20. Enjoy this music at the end of the show. Go check them out on Spotify. Buy their album on iTunes. And go see a live show. Please, please, please go see a live show. They're really, really great. Uh, You can email into the podcast at afterthegigpod at gmail.com. And you can also support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash afterthegig. There, you can find a tier level that works for you. You'll be supporting the show and also getting some exclusive content. So check that out and have a great week. Love you guys. See you next time.